Here we go. Welcome to episode number 11 of the Front Porch Podcast. Uh, I am an intern here at the Front Porch. My name is Paul. (laughs) Me too, except my name is Emily. Nice. Uh, This week we've got our very last recording from a Saturday night in winter quarter. Final politics of the divine doodad um yeah i'm not sure what we're gonna do after this but (laughs) strap in it could be good um and this one was on advocacy led by dom Mm -hmm. another employee here at the front porch and yeah she asked some questions so like usual we'll go through those but um yeah what comes to mind when you think of advocacy emily <laughs> I think my first thought is s- using your own resources to call attention to something hmm. that matters. Do you consider yourself an advocate for anything? Um, sometimes. <laughs> Seems like a word that is only true if it's 100% true. You know hmm. those things that like you can't identify with it unless it like always feels true. Because if like I say, oh, I'm an advocate for this thing. Yeah. But like sometimes I don't do that. Can I say that? I don't gotcha. know. You know so what I mean? Can you have perfect, can you be an advocate if you're an imperfect advocate? And I think yes. I would but, think so. But when I, when I like self-identify, yeah. it's harder to do that. Hmm. Because I think maybe part of the definition in my head is it holds a set of very high standards of acting and behaving. What would you say that you are an advocate for? Um, Trader Joe's everything but the bagel seasoning. Okay, there we go. At every chance, great on everything. I will use it very often. Preach the good word of (laughs) the bagel seasoning. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's good. I think. I mean, I would like to say I'm an advocate for all of the big things of equality and social justice, and I don't know those kind of big ticket things. But yeah, it's hard for me to say that when I look at my you know purchasing habits and Hmm. if i'm an advocate for equality do i know the ethical standards that these brands are meeting do i know like can i say i'm an advocate for the environmental movement or participate in that if i buy things from amazon you know so that's where i think the hard part of like naming yourself that versus actually showing up in it all the time is hard for me. Yeah. Yeah. The individual action piece is a it's a tough a tough thing to to deal with. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Well, let's get into it. Okay.
So this quarter we've been going through a series we're calling Politics of the Divine. Um, we've explored the stark contrast between structures and systems that exist within our culture and society today um, and a countercultural way of being that Jesus presented in his life and teachings. Um, so politics are how human we as human beings living in community with others structure our lives together as society. These structures can be for the sake of the common good or for, a few, um, or for the sake of a privileged few. No matter how much um, we might not want to enter into politics, um, we must. And that's kind of the premise of everything we've talked about. So, and I think like a greater connection between all people is a goal and a hope, then we must get political. Um, so all the topics we've gone through have directed us towards life kind of as it should be or where we believe the best in others uh, in that history and we are moving towards greater justice. Um, Jesus had all sorts of teachings and sayings and moments of courage in this very same vein. I mean, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God as the way things should be and the way things were intended to be. So when I think of systems and structures that exist, and when I think of politics and how we live and connect with others, I also see and have to think of the injustices and the systems and structures and changes that need to be made for all, for the good of all people and for all people to experience life as it should be or the way it was intended. And therefore, I think of advocacy. So when I say advocacy, what comes to mind, how would you define it, and what experiences have you had with the idea and the practice of advocacy? Well, well, kind of similar to what we brought up at the beginning. Mm -hmm. What comes to mind, how do you define it, what experience have you had with the idea and practice of it? I'm trying to think of something that I am an advocate for that I can sort of work from that place to mm -hmm. come to some answers to these questions. Yeah. Um, Did we get the definition just now or no? No. After? Depends. She, she gives a, okay. she gives a little bit later. I think growing up in certain spheres, I was taught that advocacy was from a place of superiority hmm. um, in the same way that um, I guess a lot of philanthropy or things that are coined like altruistic are in the same, I don't know, same realm as that of like, you can only be an advocate if you have a tangible way to help. Gotcha. And and you should advocate for people that you that you maybe view as not overtly inferior, but of needing your help. Yeah. So it kind of sets up this power dynamic. Yeah. Where the the powerful can make some decisions and calls. Right. For those deemed powerless. Yeah. Exactly. I don't know that I hold to that definition anymore, but that was definitely the <coughs> um, 
the way it was given to me. Yeah. I would say I am an advocate in many ways for sort of dismantling Mm -hmm. that power dynamic, particularly through the lens of capital accumulation Mm -hmm. and what everything that that entails. Because I think so many of our problems come from the just that basic like element of greed in society mm-hmm. it's like i'm gonna get more yeah. and i'm gonna keep winning and it kind of starts from a place of like survival right like you're trying to mm-hmm. you're trying to stay on top and you mm-hmm. want to provide for your pa- your family and your whatever yeah and everybody is trying to do that to some degree but then it becomes a very different situation yeah because you're trying to it pits you against other people yeah pits you against other people yeah who trying and and then when you come to the place where it's like oh well now i'm gonna i'm gonna give back and you know help out Mm -hmm. the quotes the least of these yeah and do something about all this with the resource that was acquired in so many ways through yeah same people Mm -hmm. yeah and so how is it that we can sort of Hmm. how can all boats rise and also not have it come through a place of like first people have to win as much as they can Mm -hmm. and then they give back through the lens of the way in which they did all the winning to get to the place they are yeah um we talked a while ago about the idea of dismantling from within or mm-hmm. or sort of tearing down and reconstructing. Yeah. I think that is an interesting take on this movie. As it regards to social movements, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the sort of like, do you, if you can't beat them, join them. Right. And then try to do good while you're joining them. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, we saw this recently with the, the Amazon vice yeah. president who stepped down was like perhaps trying to do as much as he could while he was within mm-hmm. this system and then got to a place where it's like, nope, mm-hmm. no, uh, no hope here, One more. which is troublesome Yeah, in a big, big way. If you have somebody who's kind of in this place and like, oh, I'm going to make a change. I'm going to do things differently. Amazon can be you know fixed or benevolent mm-hmm. in some way and then that person's like not a chance <laughs> what's the yeah. what's happening in this place i mean recently there was the the fellow who is a manager in a warehouse who was trying to advocate for his employees for protectional personal protectional mm-hmm. personal mm-hmm. protection equipment and paid time off people got sick and all these things, it's like, yeah, it makes a ton of sense in this situation. And he gets fired for organizing. For And the reasons that it they gave were really, really troublesome. It was mm-hmm. just like, of course, the people in power would yeah. think this is the thing that he's doing. Hmm. Like, Yeah, so the change from within, change from without. 
change from within, it seems, I don't know. I just, I have so, I don't have a lot of hope for it, unfortunately. Yeah. There are very few examples of it being successful, I would say. Yeah. Like where? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they're harder to see. Perhaps, yeah. Because there's more changes overall. Right. When nothing's being completely deconstructed, it's harder to notice it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pivot and ask you what your take on self-advocacy is. Self-advocacy. I think that's important. I mean, I think it depends on the movement. Mm-hmm. Men's rights. <laughs> Come on, sit down. <laughs> <laughs> What's the, what did you lose? Fair. But I think, and then uh, on a sort of like individual scale, like, so the gender pay gap, I think, is something really, really interesting because you have to have this sort of like collective advocacy. Mm-hmm in that everybody is looking for or some large group of people is looking for like hey we need to pay people equally yeah but then you sort of look at the places where unequal payment or unequal payment happens Mm -hmm. and how does that like come to be right Uh, so much of it is in this sort of negotiation progress process that's so ambiguous yeah and you can have certain people men advocating for themselves to be like I'm going to, you know, mm-hmm. I negotiate. want more. I'm going to negotiate. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to win. Yeah. And then for whatever reason, um, employers are sort of taking advantage of women who might not be engaging in that same sort of like competitive mm-hmm. process. And the gender pay gap, I don't think is, you can't, you're not, I'm not blaming women for it at all. But self-advocacy in that situation of like, mm-hmm. no, I have a place at the table to negotiate for myself. It makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. And maybe the two the two differences are from the inside. Maybe one branch of that movement is empowering women to negotiate for themselves. Mm-hmm. Whereas another different arm of the movement would be saying there should be no negotiation phase at all. And we should just ensure that all the all the employees working the same job or the same thing are making the exact same amount of money. Yeah, that's the hope. And I mean, that's what happens with like teachers who have unionized. Mm-hmm. That's what yeah. That's what happens there. So yeah. it's possible. We kind of talked about how it's using something that you have for the betterment of someone that doesn't have that thing. So like using your voice for the voiceless. And then kind of related it to like dipping your toes in both pools so that you have a multi-perspective. Not, uh, yeah, we simply define it as kind of um, being, speaking on behalf of another person or group. Or self. Or self, yeah, we said self. talked about the distinction between advocacy and action. A group is advoca- 
advocating for something that like like factually isn't necessarily like oppressed then like but but usually the advocacy for that is like a defense to them feeling threatened. Um I can think of examples, but I don't know. <laughs> but um but yeah like just they that group who is advocating for like they might think that people are against them even if there aren't and I think a lot of the times that will happen um with groups who are um just like innately privileged through this structure and system of like the country we live in um and then they think that they're being threatened when there's advocacy for the people who actually are oppressed like whether that's super visibly oppressed or just simply oppressed because they don't fit into the majority um and so like i guess that would technically still be advocacy because they think that they're standing up for themselves for something that they think might be against them but like yeah I, I guess at that point it's like a matter of opinion of like whether you actually think that group or not and like i have strong opinions on that but i so it's out of line in like a mathematical sense which is whatever um but it's i think it's kind of cool because when you said forces you're like okay like you're you have to have an opposite force that's you feel like you're having this like static equilibrium almost where something's going against it, you need to go the other way and like push it back and you have this like push and pull and you're trying to move thing something in one direction. If the other group that doesn't believe it's an issue sees you applying force to this object, depending on where along the object you're applying force, if you aren't applying it to the center of gravity, it's not gonna move in one direction. Um, it's actually gonna create like a moment arm and spin the object. But seriously, think about it. It'll, it'll spin the object, change the perspective of the object, and then the other group that's looking at this thing, thinking that's not an issue, might be able to see it from a different perspective. Hmm. So this idea kind of came to the forefront of my mind this week because earlier in the week I had to run into Target, and when I was heading into the building, there were two guys with. Um, Clipboards out there asking people to sign petitions as they went into Target. And, but they weren't simply asking, like, hey, do you want to hear about this petition and sign it? It was asking things like, will you sign to ban plastics in order to protect our ocean? Um, and things like that. And I think those sorts of questions, like, put, I mean, and intentionally put you off balance because it's not simply like, you want to hear my speech and everyone's like no it's like <laughs> like appealing to topics that you care about um but so i felt flustered and i never know like the right thing to say in those moments um and but i like had 10 minutes to get in and get out of target and get on to the next thing in the day and i felt flustered because i do care about taking care of our, our ocean and eliminating single-use plastics, but also feeling like, what does a petition out of, outside of Target really do? And I felt flustered because I could tell that they are passionate about these things. Like, obviously, if they're willing to stand outside of Target and just, like, get shut down and ignored for, like, hours. Um, but I didn't, and I also felt flustered because I didn't have the response to capture all of those feelings in the moment. And so I said something like, not right now, like, I don't have the time and like continued on inside but I've thought about this interaction for days and even and talked to the staff about it and after spending time thinking about it I think it would change my response to like thanking them for their advocacy. Um, so now turn to the person next to you again and discuss social slash political 
that have occurred in the last 50 years um, and how did these changes evolve and how did they come to be and kind of where does that history fit into that journey? 70s, baby. Yeah, 1970. A lot, a lot has happened since mm-hmm. 1970. <laughs> um, yeah. I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, sure what the political changes. Well, one thing that's been on my mind a lot lately is this sort of like gradual right conservative shifting of both political parties. Mm-hmm. We're now basically, and this began in great part in the in the 1970s i mean you had nixon advocating for like some pretty serious social programs despite being sort of like this conservative icon mm-hmm. and then now you would never imagine a yeah a conservative politician being like oh yeah <laughs> we're going to do these we're going to do these things and then mm. the democratic party has also done this i mean there's all sorts of social movements that they're slap their name on to get voters but the sort of like boots on the ground, how are we going to fund social programs? What's the sort of possibility of, you know, new new public public work that's good and efficient and kind of matches up with the rest of the Yeah. The core powers of the world. Mm-hmm. Just not happening. Um and that began that process began in the 70s and has just sort of materialized itself in a pretty Wall Street cozy Democratic Party. Do you think anyone had to advocate for that? Or do you see it more as like a natural shift of things with how our world has changed in those last 50 years? Mm, I don't think it was a natural change. I don't... I wouldn't be comfortable to call much of anything a natural change. I think that was, um, like, corporate power advocating for itself. Okay. And saying, like, we are going to fund your this, that, and the other thing if you'll, you know, go easy on us with the taxes. Hmm. And those, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing. And so, yeah, there was definitely an advocacy that was happening, but it was an advocacy that I don't think we would necessarily consider when we think of things like yeah. civil rights right. and social equality. And yeah, I think the things. word itself holds a positive connotation in my mind. So it's hard mm-hmm. for me to apply it to something like that. Yeah. But I guess it's basically... At its core, the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly advocacy. It's not the sort of, you know, good advocacy that, uh, you know, mm-hmm. more equal, free right, um, world mm-hmm. looks like. <laughs> yeah. But mm. Other stuff, the internet, mm. that was huge. Mm-hmm. Big social change and now slowly causing some <laughs> political change. The nature of campaigns has changed a great deal because mm-hmm. the internet i think something with the internet and sort of like the democratization of technology on so, le- so many levels like people just have like computers in their pockets and mm-hmm. fo- cameras in their pockets all the time and these sorts of things it's like i think it's caused a lot of things that were invisible to now be 
far more visible in a lot of ways. Yeah. We just have videos of things that we've never mm-hmm. seen, witnessed with our own eyes unless you were there. Yeah. And so I think that has led to a lot of like interesting possibility for change mm-hmm. where you can be like, see, right. look what's happening. Look what's happening in Georgia. Mm. It's like, yeah, couldn't do that before. Right. You could just say, oh, that didn't happen. Or oh, it wasn't like that. Mm-hmm. You see this like, oh, no, this yeah. is how it is. That's and that's horrifying. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a great tool for advocacy. Mm-hmm. It's troubling if that's what it takes. Yeah. It is. It does take that, though. <laughs> seems that way clothing industry environmental movements of the last 50 years oh yeah for things outside of outside of their own maybe their own direct interests when was the first earth day 1972 Mm. that sounds right didn't we just have the 50th one oh it was 70 i feel like maybe it was 70 yep yeah 50 years of earth day we can count it it's in the last 50 and that's been, yeah, something that I think has just been continuing to ramp up. Mm-hmm. And there is, a, you know, bodies of people through the 80s and 90s saying, like, hey, there's stuff going on that we can't keep doing. Mm-hmm. Like before, I think it was before 9-11, the two candidates, I mean, Al Gore in particular, but yeah, even George Bush to some degree, there was some sort of like, okay, we got to pivot our our plans like this new millennium mm-hmm. the, the 2000s we have to do something about our impact on mother earth on mother earth um yeah and how humans sort of live with and against with with and against other environmental systems hmm. but that was very much derailed for a good little while with uh yeah. It would be interesting to chart the growth of internet presence among people and their sense of advocacy with things. As as more information is shared about social issues or movements that are being that are happening, I think it would be interesting to see the relationship that that has to to people's sense of participation yeah because one part of participation i would argue is just engaging with the information side of it Hmm. and so i think like consuming reading right watching and obviously i don't think advocacy can only be that but i do think that contributes to a sense of advocacy yeah like if i'm if i'm reading something every day about climate change or all these different movements and I'm informing myself I think I would say that that's I think I would identify more as an advocate than having not read any of that so it'd be interesting to see the amount of information that we consume versus our our kind of self-identified advocacy yeah that's yeah clicktivism I think is a very interesting factor of yeah yeah advocacy that i think is i mean it's to explain it 
What? Clicktivism. Oh, just like. Because it kind of sounds like collectivism. Yeah, collectivism <laughs> or slacktivism, like yeah. sharing things on social media or liking things on social media and calling it mm-hmm. advocacy. I had an interesting discussion with a friend earlier this week about all this, and I sort of like facetiously said about the Yamada Arbery case um, that, like, oh, thank God, you know, all those people shared those things on Instagram and they were like oh absolutely yeah like without that like what would have happened and I was like oh I was kind of kidding like I don't think like is that a solution and they were basically like the only reason that this is being cared about in any way is because it was in front of everybody's eyes mm-hmm. it wasn't just that the video existed mm-hmm. it right was it because had existed everybody saw the video mm-hmm. And everybody was sort of, you know, confronted with this reality on mm-hmm. every news feed everywhere. Yeah. And kind of demanding some answers. Right. And so this, like, so much of the time, I think I have just such a very low view of, like, mm-hmm. the dynamic that that all plays out on social media. Because you have collective organization that happened yeah. with no Facebook events or with no right no part of that in other times in history. And now we kind of just settle into these sort of like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm going to share it and that's going to be it. And like I did my, I did what I could do. Right. Which um, I think that's different than sharing, engaging with the local governing agencies and then having discussions about it. Mm-hmm. I think those are two separate ways of, of uh, behaving that engage in a different level. Being on the internet versus doing some sort of like in-person or collective organization. Right. Or even with that particular situation, like sharing a post versus sharing a post, calling Governor Kent's office, emailing the local police department. Yeah. uh, Having conversations with people in your life about it. Yeah. I think that's definitely a step uh, past just sharing something, but they both can start in the same place. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, there was so much more of a an action component mm-hmm. to a lot of this. It seemed like, like because like, yeah, I don't think the arrests would have happened without people sharing it. But I, I don't think the sharing itself is the threatening thing. I don't even think people seeing it is the threatening thing to the systems that are in place that are keeping things like this mm-hmm. from being from coming to light for two months. Yeah, I think it's it's the fact that we can still depend on people to say something when they see that or to do something when they see that. Yeah, and so the sharing is in hopes of that happening, but it doesn't guarantee that that happens. Gotcha. Gay marriage. We were talking, we kind of talked about a bunch of different ones, but I wasn't really specifically saying one issue. We were kind of talking about how it feels <coughs> like, and the example I used was the coronavirus, and then how several years ago there's flying flu, and then before that there's SARS or whatever. And I heard a stat this week that uh, like the average time that these things are in the news cycle is like 12 weeks. Like they run their course for 12 weeks, and after 12 weeks, there's still an issue, but it just like falls out of the news cycle, so people forget about it, and then like eventually, I guess it goes away. Um, but just like with uh, 
like another example uh, I kind of thought about was like the civil rights movement of how these big, really important things bubble up and like come to the surface and we have so much energy and steam behind them and we really need to like change and then those are in the news cycle until we like run out of energy to keep talking about that and then we like find something new and that other thing kind of falls off and regresses backwards a little bit until again we get energy whether that's 12 weeks in the news cycle for these sicknesses or 20 years or so for like, different movements whether that be civil rights or gay marriage um, or women's rights etc there's like there's like certain peaks and then it's like oh this is like the thing like we need to solve this and like two months later it's like there's this thing now and we need to solve this and we didn't finish solving this one but like we're looking at this thing now and, and, and so that the how did these changes evolve is kind of what got me down that thread of like it feels like we get there and we put the movement behind it and then it like we turn left and go to the next one Civil rights is really interesting because civil rights, uh, like popular opinion at the time, extremely low. Nobody wanted anything to do with Martin Luther King or civil rights. At the time it was happening, we have this sort of story that we can tell ourselves afterwards. It was probably written by some white guy uh, who said, Martin Luther King rescued all the black people in the midst of Jim Crow and freed them and gave them all, poll, uh, gave them all uh, polling places and banned all the black drinking fountains and rescued us all and then we put a day for him and we've just been celebrating him ever since and we've been a color-free nation. It's like, that is not what happened. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I don't know, I don't know how, like we're applying a, such a fast like frame of reference that we have now where things are falling out of news cycles every 12 weeks and we think of a new fire or issue or something. Yeah, Australia, I guess they just put it out. Uh, it fell out of the news cycle, but they still had to put the fire out. I don't know about the Amazon, but this sort of cycle, the, those changes 50 years ago that were having to happen were like, um, there was, even if it fell out of the news cycle, it had to stay in the legal cycle. Michael and I talked about how there's been like an increasing light shed on oppression um, and at the same time an increasing opposition to that and how we think the epitome of that is sitting in the Oval Office, that force of like non-reveal or like the force against revealing oppression is, has always been trying to catch up. Yeah, I think it's a bummer how social movements are so reactionary. Like, for example, like with the blackface incident, like we're now having these diversity and inclusion campaigns as a result when, like, issues of white supremacy has been an issue throughout the institution of Cal Poly. And so it's just like, I, like, I went to the um, State of Blackness event, and like, they were talking about issues, and um, one of the students on the panel said, like, it's very clear that Cal Poly, for example, as many like institutions, like they only do things to cover their asses, you know? And so it's just, it's a bummer how a lot of advocacy is like just a marketing ploy and like uh, how we were saying, like it's um, just promoted to be promoted. Like out of news. Yeah, I think that I 
we kind of talked about how change happens through allies, through being an ally, and representing someone. But then there's also the conflict of an ally taking credit for the work done because they are not the one being oppressed, but they're the one in sight and the one that we so there's just a boundary of like how much advocacy can you do and like I guess breed from it. Like are you gonna be free from it or like let someone out? What do they do with like sexual assault, sexual abuse has been talked about more so like differently than it ever was before, especially in recent years with me too movement and stuff. Also, along the lines of sexual assault and the Me Too movement, um, mental health has been openly talked about a lot more as of recent. People a lot more open, like sharing their feelings of how like how they feel and being more. There's a lot there, <laughs> um, but I think that often advocacy has a role in making change and bringing awareness to these issues in our structures and. So I dove into advocacy and what defines it, and the goals of advocacy, and what the heart is behind it, and what it seeks to impact. And here are some of the like statements I found about it. Um, advocacy focuses on a clear vision of changing systems that create or continue problems. It focuses on intervening with those who perpetuate powerlessness, poverty, and other forms of oppression. And it continuously evaluates and strategies to find the most effective means of bringing about change. The goal of advocacy is to work with individuals, groups, and communities to change existing social structures and promote social justice. And then this one, advocacy encompasses community psychology values such as empowerment, citizen participation, health and wellness, and respect for diversity. Um, and so that last statement and thought really connected some things for me. And that if we see politics as living in community with others um, and structuring our lives together as a society, then advocacy offers a way to restoring and changing systems that exist within politics uh, that have perpetuated inequality and oppression and pain. And it led me to think of the ways that Jesus advocated for those at the bottom poverty, women, children, people with illness or disease, um, and all those on the outside of the marginalized. Um, so that might be really small, but I'm going to read it. <laughs> this is a um, story from Luke, and it says, One Sabbath day while Jesus was teaching in the synagogue, he encountered a seriously handicapped woman. She was crippled and had been doubled over for 18 years condition was caused by a demonic spirit of bondage that had left her unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her condition, he called her over and gently laid his hands on her. Then he said, Dear woman, you are free. I release you forever from this crippling spirit. Instantly, she stood up straight and tall and overflowed with glorious praise to God. The Jewish leader who was in charge of the synagogue was infuriated over Jesus' healing on the Sabbath day. 
six days you are to work, he shouted angrily to the crowd, and those are the days you should come here for healing, but not on the seventh day. The Lord said, you hopeless frauds, don't you care for your animals on the Sabbath day, untying your ox or donkey from the stall and leaning it away to water? If you do this for your animals, what is wrong with allowing this beloved daughter of Abraham, who had been bound by Satan for 18 long years, to be tied, untied, and set free on the Sabbath day? When they heard this, his critics were completely humiliated, but the crowd shouted with joy over the glorious things Jesus so, again, there's a lot there, <laughs> but um, turn to the person next to you and talk about in this story of Jesus' life, where is the intersection of politics and advocacy and what is Jesus pointing out about one of the political systems of the time and what is he advocating for? Sabbath. Handicapped woman, Sabbath. Heals her on the Sabbath. This healing thing is something that I've kind of gotten interested in mm-hmm. recently. Um, I learned that um, the things that Jesus healed people of were all things that would make you ritually impure. They were all things that would make you like unable to be a part of like either attending the temple Mm -hmm. or like being a part of at some point this sort of like otherworldly kingdom okay like in the end times when things sort of come to a close and all the human kingdoms wrap up Mm -hmm. who is going to be led into the the divine kingdom Mm -hmm. you're going to have to be ritually pure and if you have any sort of like particular physical ailment like blindness lameness um not being able to speak uh, a skin condition like leprosy um, or like you can't walk. Mm-hmm. That's ritual impurity. Okay. And so there were some societies like the Essenes who said like these people can't be a part of our communities mm-hmm. because we believe that God is everywhere all the time. And if God is everywhere all the time, like the priestly class, mm-hmm because they live in the presence of God all the time because they're at the temple. Um, we have to maintain ritual purity mm. at all times. Mm-hmm. And so they'd have these um, pools of water because you can, the w- one of the ways to become ritually pure is to wash in a pool of freestanding water that hasn't been moved. So it can't be through an, like a, like a, an irrigation system or like a mm-hmm. water system where like, like a bathtub where you're filling a bathtub. Yeah. It has to be a pool that's like been naturally collected. Okay. So in their communities, mm-hmm. they would have these pools built in in different places. Huh. And so then all of Jesus' healings are then part of this tradition of sort of like, there's sort of two ways you can approach mm-hmm. the kingdom to come. Do you create a society that excludes everyone that is not ritually pure Mm -hmm. and say, sorry, you're disabled. Like this is not for you. Yep. You're out. Or do you try and heal all these people and say, nope, we're going to expand the umbrella Mm -hmm. and be like, you're, you're okay. Mm -hmm. And I mean, for me, the next step is like, you know, you were okay the whole time. Right. Like if you can't speak or you're 
you can't walk or these sorts of things like it doesn't make you mm-hmm. a bad person right. or a wrong person right you're in yeah you're okay if there's you know something coming down the road whatever that means um question that you might not know the answer to baptisms mm-hmm. where were those normally where did those take place um, were they in the pools I don't know. I know so John the baptizer. Mm-hmm. He did it in was yeah. The rivers. Right. And that was the So like would that have been uh would people have been readily accepting that? Or would that have been sort of a radical idea that you could be like baptized and cleansed in s- in water that wasn't in the like ritual pools? I don't know. I know baptism became a big deal for the Christians because right. it was the sort of like a pulling from the ritual purity act mm-hmm. in the Jewish tradition mm-hmm. and then saying you do it once and you're yeah. pure forever. Right. You don't have to keep coming back to mm-hmm. the pool. And so I think it may, th- I don't know for sure. I'm kind of shooting yeah. in the dark. It may have been the same yeah. sort of deal. Hmm. And then John the Baptizer is kind of a sort of rebel force. Right. It's like, we're going to do it your way. Okay. Um, Just a random question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, weird. The history of baptism. Interesting yeah. thing. Um, hmm. So, and so what does all that have to do with advocacy? That's the sort of like the exclusive or inclusive approach to the mm-hmm. kingdom to come. Mm-hmm. Do you take an inclusive approach that's advocacy i would say that's saying yeah everybody's a part of the society sabbath day or not that's just sort of another element of this whole yeah thing that kind of we can but wouldn't would the fact that jesus had uh like broken the torah by healing on the sabbath made him ritually impure yeah yeah which is interesting for sure. Yeah, that's like this whole other level. Can a ritually impure person make the ritually impure <laughs> pure? <laughs> it's you're all tied up. Hmm, yeah. 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 I th- the law is so, it's such an interesting thing to sort of wrestle with. Because mm-hmm. on the one hand, it's like you have all this talk. It's like, you know, Jesus tossed out the law because it's all about love now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lo- love over the law but it's also like all the laws were put in place we don't really know a lot of them a lot of them are kind of wacky um, like you know don't eat meat with the food of the mother which is like you can't eat cheese and meat in the same place or like if you're a hemorrhaging person you're impure mm-hmm. with all these things it's like what's why but all these things were set up initially so that people could get closer to their their god yeah and then i guess it's this i don't know there's just this reform process it's like maybe some of these things you did you don't need in the same way or or something mm. i don't know mm. I mean, I don't follow Jewish law. I'm, uh, I'm not a Jew. Um, in case you're curious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Is this, I don't know, I don't know the answer to this, which is I guess why I'm asking it. <laughs> is this specific story included in any other gospel than Luke's that you know of? In Matthew, there's a little bit of it. Okay. What is what is his language about it? News spread about him. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill and with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. All of which are elements of ritual impurity. Mm-hmm. That's my, that's my <laughs> large crowds from Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So there's that. Because uh-huh. I feel like in my reading of those two Gospels, the, the um, aim is different. In Matthews, it feels more like, uh, like what you were just saying. Of it's been about the Torah, and we've if we've taken it somewhere it shouldn't be. Whereas Luke, kind of leads with the idea of, uh, reassigning dignity to the people, and and if it breaks the Torah, it breaks the Torah. Yeah. So I'm wondering if that if that story is told a little differently in those two. Yeah, and that would make sense. Matthews sort of this uh, more Jewish oriented audience and Luke mm-hmm. was writing more to Gentiles who are coming into this right odd Jewish sect because mm-hmm. maybe even within those stories about the same people the authors are advocating for different things yeah with their writings yeah of Matthew advocating for a, a Jewish audience to turn from something to something else and a Luke's audience of Maybe more of a, I don't like this term, but like a conversion type thing from from Gentile to this new thing. Yeah. Yeah. And the way they uh, make that palatable is different for the different audiences. Yeah, I see that. Which is another interesting part of this, is you can advocate for the same thing in very different ways. Yeah. In a general sense. So, are they advocating for the same thing in different ways? Or are they I don't know. advocating from the same event into different things, for different things? Because that's what I yeah. see with Jesus, is it seems like it's more about Something happened, mm-hmm. and a lot of people had a lot of different things to say about what it meant. Yeah. And where to take that. Do we take it to reform Judaism? It seems to be Matthew's direction. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah. in light of the temple collapsing. Uh-huh. The sort of like great event of, and it's so crazy. The temple is just such an interesting thing. It's where God lives, right? Mm-hmm. It's God's house. The first temple's destroyed, the 500s. The 500s. 600s bc and so then it's like oh shoot the temple's gone where'd god go mm-hmm. so what do they do oh we're just gonna build a new one god goes back in there and then they also had this whole thing where it's like if anybody else is building a temple to the god of israel somewhere else mm-hmm. not a real temple hmm. sometimes other times <laughs> it's fine because there is this so the whole judea israel thing mm-hmm. right so like Twelve tri- ten tribes of Israel, two tribes of Judea, and the tribes of 
the basic one of the big distinctions is um, how they saw Yahwistic worship, hmm. which is this sort of like really interesting idea of basically, can you recognize other gods mm-hmm. alongside of mm. the God of Israel? Yeah. Which is more of the northern approach, the right. Israel approach. And then the Judean approach was more exclusive, exclusive Yahwism, hmm. which was like, there's this other gods, yeah. but we just worship the one. Which is also very interesting because both of them have this structure of like, we know there's other gods. Which, I mean, the whole sort of like, this is monotheism. Mm -hmm. That story comes Hmm. apart very, very quickly. But then there's also these other things that are happening. So like in, so that in Israel, they build a temple on Mount Gerizim, which is supposed to be a temple to the God of Israel. And the Judean Jews Mm -hmm. are like, not a real temple. Mm -hmm. It doesn't count. Like, you guys are wrong. But then there's another temple in Egypt Hmm. that they build to the God of Israel during the diaspora. One Mm -hmm. of the diasporas, I think, during, um, I don't know, they get kicked out of Judea at some point. Mm -hmm. And they try to build a temple. And that one's okay. And that one's fine. Interesting. And then the Samaritans, (laughs) they build a temple. And I don't think that one was okay. I think that that one was a (laughs) no-no. Yeah. I didn't like the Samaritans. That's Um, really interesting. Yeah, super wacky. Hmm. And so then you have Jesus who's sort of like, and then then all these people who are writing about Jesus afterwards, Mm -hmm. arguing for these different Hmm. things about what Jesus means. Yeah. Does Jesus mean we're reforming Judaism Hmm. and something new is cooking? Yeah. Or does it mean this thing that Jesus is doing within Judaism is for everybody? Yeah. And the structure that hmm. Judaism holds of right. this sort of like exclusive view of what our people is, mm-hmm. where we're just going to have to kind of take that apart. And a lot of the laws that come with that, they're going to have yeah. to go too. Yeah. Hmm. And then, I mean, somebody like, there's also this, this sort of dimension of like, is Jesus a political messiah? Is mm-hmm. he, everybody wants him to be this military ruler. Mm-hmm. There's all these expectations of like, well, when's the overthrow? Mm-hmm. When's it all coming down? Yeah, and that just keeps to not keeps seeming to not happen. Um, yeah, <laughs> and I mean, you see a similar thing in with Martin Luther King. I think Martin Luther King did a bunch of stuff, and then now everybody has, seems to have a different story about like mm-hmm. what is it Martin Luther King did? Yeah, and then advocating for different things in light of these like set of actions. Mm. Yeah, some people saying like. Racism was fixed. <laughs> we did it. Like Martin Luther King gave birth to Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. And now we're a colorless society. Mm-hmm. Or sort of looking at other parts of him. It's like, you know, in later parts of his life, he seems to sort of take the dynamics of civil rights, particularly pertaining to the African-American population, and then expanding that sort of like view of equality into like the troublesome dimensions of capitalism Hmm. and how this sort of just puts people against each other in all these ways. Yeah. And one of the products was that of that was slavery and the continued oppression of this group of people in America. Yeah. We got some much bigger work to do. Mm -hmm. And so you had this series of events Mm -hmm. and this person's life that then gets taken to advocate for very Mm -hmm. different things. Yeah. I read something last week that, 
I don't know how accurate this poll or study or whatever it, however this information was collected. But something said that around 80 to 90% of white Americans would say they agree with what Martin Luther King Jr. did. Hmm. And I just wonder if that's fully true or informed. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. Like, did they take a class first and then they're like, okay. Right. Or is it just sort of like people Yeah, he street. did good. Martin Luther King. <laughs> what I do you think? I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure. But yeah. it just made me, it made me think further about it of how well do we know the uh, writings and words of this man that we claim to agree with, which could be loosely put on the person of jesus as well how well do we know the beliefs and opinions and metho- methodologies of this man that we claim to align with yeah because i think i mean i've heard from people outside the christian religion yeah i think jesus was great i just don't believe dot 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 you know like i don't think his his identity as a human is that conflicting to people like yeah Mm. he said some good things he did some good things yeah but we've then taken him on a much larger scale and advocated for all sorts of things that that might not fit very well (laughs) yeah (laughs) it means you have to xyz whatever Uh uh-huh be a republican Mm -hmm. be a socialist we have a lot of people that in our society we consider ritually impure and we are keeping them ritually impure not inviting in present society i would say so yeah <laughs> or oh, or yeah. not using that term obviously but uh ostracizing and not not um giving rights and equality to certain people and taking the exclusionary idea of something's going to happen for all of us that are in and the people that are out are going to be out. Yeah. And moving forward with that. And claiming the support and uh, sovereignty of a person that did not take that approach. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. If we're believing what we have been given through these teachings and writings. It seems he did not. He was not a fan of that type of movement. Yeah. There's on the ritually impure thing within our present situation. Mm-hmm. Something I think about all the time. Always. Emily, you and I, we live at Front Porch mm-hmm. right now. And we have a a couple fellows who hang out on the front. Mm-hmm. The, front the front porch of the front porch. <laughs> and yeah. they're nice. They're great. Yeah. They just kind of hang out and smoke pot dance. all day and dance. Um, and I think... They walk like a mile to use a porta potty mm-hmm. somewhere in Slow, and that's where they, that's where they, you know, take care of their human needs. And we have a bathroom in the building. It's like, why not? Why not open the door? But right now, in our current state of affairs, there's this whole dynamic going on. Yeah, like hmm. people are impure. Which is very troublesome way to think about a person, but it's like yeah. high contact individuals. Somebody who I mean, he's told me himself. He yeah, he's going through dumpsters every day. Yeah, 
shows me his treasures <laughs> all the time. He finds sick stuff in the trash. See that lava lamp? Yeah, the lava lamp. He's yeah. like, yeah, I got you this lava lamp. <laughs> and so hmm. that level of like high contact coming into yeah a place where I live. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I mean, I have a bathroom that mm. you could use, mm. but it seems dangerous right now. Yeah. Because of kind of what seems like, in a certain reading of the events, a flavor of impurity. Yeah. And I'm troubled by that all the time. Yeah. It's a hot take. Yeah. Hmm. That's all I got. (laughs) All right. With this rule, the Pharisees would say, God made. <laughs> How do you change the rules God made? We were talking about that in our conversation. <coughs> Josh brought that point up where it's like, it's so much harder to take a step back to from some of those, especially within religious institutions, um, and point out those flaws because then that person in power might say, like, oh, well, like, God gave us these rules, so how dare you question this? Um, and I think that we all agree that that's something that a lot of religious institutions can kind of be, can kind of struggle with, um, with a lot of different identities or rules or traditions and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think this is like super relevant to kind of the political structure that we have today, just in this interaction, because I think that like this Pharisee is kind of saying like, well, these are the rules, like this is what we have to do. And Jesus is kind of saying, well, like, we're always going to be moving forwards into, like, a deeper sense, understanding and meaning of, like, what it means to be human and what it means to be loved and what it means to experience joy. And so, like, we can't, like, at some point we're going to have to leave these rules in the past where they were because we aren't there anymore. Like, there's this box that fit at that time. That box doesn't fit the fact that we're, like, up here in time now. Uh, and I, something that keeps coming to mind when I've been thinking through this story, those of you who read one week tell me what's what that came from. But um, the quote of like the arc of the universe is long and bent toward justice. It's like there's there's always there's always somewhere else that we're moving towards. Like we should never be so stuck in our system that we can't evolve it to meet where we're trying to be. And also acknowledging that, like, we're not there yet, so we need to keep moving forward. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah.
so he was like, and you can't sleep on the Sabbath. Um, <coughs> and I think that's like that threat that Jesus posed to both religious and political authorities is what led to his death. Um, and so I think that government is not the only or always the best instrument to deal with injustice, but it is one of the institutions that does dictate um, the welfare of people. And because we live in a democracy, um, we have to acknowledge our privilege and I believe that we have a responsibility to advocate. Um, yeah, and so, and if we're committed to a life person and moment matter, and if we believe in seeing, I think so, um, just lost that thought, um, seeing the kingdom of God on earth and the way that things should be or, or were intended to be, then I think we enter into fixing structures in society um, that continue to um, oppress and um, enter into the spaces of inequality and and politics um, who have been marginalized or who uh, the majority say don't matter. And so there are so many, so many things and so many areas and topics and um, groups and all, like so many things to advocate for. Um, but I just want to like touch the surface of like how we start to enter in. Um, and so I think first we learn and we listen um, and we engage and we keep a tab of what is going on in the world and we have to tune in and we pay attention to the injustices and the brokenness. Um, I think we have to look at our relational circles and who we interact with and who we're spending our time with. Um, I think to advocate we have the opportunity to have ongoing conversations with people in our lives uh, and family and friends who have different views than us. I think that engaging with those people in our lives is so important. Um, and I think we have to reflect and learn and contemplate um, before taking action. Uh, and I know that it can feel overwhelming and the world can feel really dark and the systems and politics can feel dark and hopeless. Uh, but I also see that it doesn't cost us all the same thing, same amount to advocate for justice, um, and that many people don't have the luxury um, and the privilege of looking away. Um, and so when we look to and understand the ways that Jesus interacts with people, um, how he loves them, I think that's the heart of justice, and it's restorative. Um, and I think we have to remember that across history, um, there's been people who have stood up and advocated, and we're not doing it alone, and we're not doing it for the first time. And so I want to leave us with kind of two things. First um, is to think about just area and of injustice that you will dive into this first step of learning more about. Um, commit to some Googling, to reading a book, to engaging in conversation, and I would be happy to talk about any of those resources.
services with you. Uh, and there's lots of ways you can get involved in advocacy for a lot of different issues on campus um, and in the slow community, um, but just commit to learning more uh, first. And then secondly, I wanted to share this quote um, from, a, from a Jewish text that says, it is not your responsibility to finish the work of perfecting the world, but you are not free to desist from it either. Um, so, you know, we, we might not get it all done. We aren't necessarily going to finish it all, but we can't quit either. And we can't turn away from it. Um, and I believe that leaning in and advocating is a part of our, I mean, it's a part of experiencing the world as it was intended to be. Um, and I think that, that that kingdom of God on earth would um, lean into sustaining justice, equality, and peace. And so living into the politics of the divine plays a role in our capacity to be peacemakers change agents in the world, but being a peacemaker doesn't mean the absence of conflict, rather peace and presence of justice and advocacy.